0: Hello and welcome to The Nuclear View, the podcast of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies, where we always encourage you to think deterrence. Hello and welcome in to the newest, latest episode of The Nuclear View. I am Adam Lowther, Vice President of Research at the National Institute for Deterrent Studies, and I am joined today by Curtis McGiffin, the Vice President for Education, and by our illustrious president, Jim Petrosky. Becoming more illustrious today, every day. <laughs> more illustrious every day. <laughs> today, we are going to be talking about Slick'Em In, uh, one of my uh, favorite topics. I'm, I'm, I know... Uh, as a Navy guy, you know, anything that uh, is sea-based, I obviously love. So, and Curtis, I know you have some thoughts about slick in and whether we need it or don't need it, As and Jim, as our favorite engineer, uh, I'm sure you'll have some great contributions as well. So, Curtis, do you want to kick us off on the debate uh, that's going on, you know, in you know, it's a discussion of the NPR. It's a discussion that's ongoing in Congress. And then throughout D.C. there's a discussion. Of course, uh, Admiral Richard has said the STRATCOM commander said that we we need slickam in and we'll have a new STRATCOM commander uh, here pretty soon. And who's reviewing whether we do or don't need slickam and he'll have his own opinion. That'll be General Cotton. But. Uh, why don't you start us off, Curtis? W- what is the debate over slick in?
1: Well, thanks, Adam. And, uh, welcome all to our, our, our many, many thousands of listeners. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, slick in is a controversial, uh, uh, topic in, in several different ways. Again, I mentioned in the last, uh, podcast, the NPR is a, is a political document, and, um, and, and this NPR, uh, uh, is no different than any other NPR with regard to that. It sets policy, and if you will, some strategy um, as to how we're going to lay out um, the forces that we need to, to, um, um, up to, to seek the deterrence effect. Uh, deterrence is an effect, not a, an operation or a strategy, per se. Um, and so uh, presumably, if you want to achieve an effect in deterrence, which is the ultimate goal of averting war? Uh, you need to have the right kinds of tools uh, or means uh, in order to, to, you know, to create that effect. And and since deterrence occurs between the ears of our adversary, we have to somehow convince them. I like to use the word scare them, uh, if that's a word. Um, and 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 produce in their minds this fear, right, um, that they um, ought not to uh, cross that line. And, and to do that, you've got to have weapon systems that they might fear. And so to produce that fear in their minds, they've got to feel that that, that, that weapon system is credible. Um, and so achieving that credibility is is a task uh, that uh, we're essentially trying to accomplish uh, with this NDAA. The decision to keep or eliminate the slick man has many, many variables, which we're going to go through today, I'm sure. Um, but I, I think the initial controversy is, is is the administration was looking for low-hanging fruit from the previous administration to find a way to cut that to, to um, for whatever reason. Um, you could think of it as trying to save money. You could think of it as trying to placate a political base. You could see it as a way not to um, uh, uh, maybe escalate in some manner. Um, I would disagree with some of those. Um, if those were the case, there may be other variables. Um, it seems like Congress uh, is intent on providing some amount of funding. The NDAA language just was released here today, and so um, waiting to to kind of scan through that. Uh, but I think um, I think in the end there will be some money for Slickomend because Congress re- realizes that this is needed, and um, uh, I think it's essentially. Uh, going to be a battle between, um, uh, Congress and the white house. And I think right now that's going to be the, uh, the battle Royale going into the spring.
0: So just to clarify for listeners, I mean, we've mentioned slick them in, slick them in, but we never said slick them in as the submarine launched cruise missile nuclear. And so it's, you know, it's a nuclear cruise missile that's launched from a, uh, one of our, US submarines, and it's presumably a, a low yield warhead on that weapon that is designed uh, to fill a gap uh, between the strategic weapons, the ICBMs, the, you, you know, the, the B-21 was revealed a few days ago. And so B tw- the new B-21 and the B-2 and the B-52. Um, and then of course the ballistic missile submarines. So we have those, you know, three basic legs of the triad. And then there's this discussion of a low-yield submarine launch cruise missile that'll fill a gap in the non-strategic realm, since the Russians and the Chinese are building non-strategic nuclear weapons. And we the United States largely don't have much capability there. So that's that's you know in part what this debate is about. And you're absolutely right. The, you know, the administration, the Biden administration came into office and said, hey, we're going to reduce our reliance on nuclear weapons. And in the, the nuclear posture review, the NPR, it's slick them in that was that system that they decided to cut while still, you know, completing modernization of the three legs of the strategic
2: triad. Adam, isn't one of the sure. isn't one of the issues associated with the Slickam N though is that it also can be uh, launched via the Virginia class submarines. And so it may displace some of the conventional capabilities. You know, I come into this looking at it from, you know, anything that you take off the table, what are you putting on the table and how's that change capability? And that's one thing that we need to, you know, that seems to be one of the arguments for or against, I'm not making one or the other, but I think that has to come in uh, to to play because there are other things that need to be funded, you know, w 80 4 et cetera, that, uh, that if they come off the table, that becomes another problematic issue if the money's not there.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you bring up a great point and this is, you know, some within the Navy have said, hey, listen, if we're putting nuclear weapons on what are ostensibly fast attack submarines, Virginia class submarines, instead of just having, you know, the boomers with the nuclear weapons, you know, ICBMs is, or submarine launch ballistic missiles. So therefore you've now made what were ostensibly conventional boats are now nuclear. So you've got the PRP problems, you've got, all of these challenges that come along with having nuclear weapons on, you know, on a submarine. And you're absolutely right. You're going to lose some conventional capability. And that has been one of the discussions and debates inside, inside the Navy. But you mentioned the, the W-84 warhead or the W-80-4. And I guess my question is, can you specify what exactly you mean? And is, is a potential
2: loss there?
0: What, what do you What do you mean by that?
2: Well, again, if you're if you're looking at ramping up you know, production, um, you know the long range standoff weapon with the W eighty four, that is a capability we want to maintain. If we, if again, you're looking at a limited number of funds, a limited capability of doing this, you're robbing sort of Peter to pay Paul. In one system I to another. You. And, and, and one, you know, I'm, and again, I'm not making the argument way or another. I'm, I, I like, like to feed the argument and then see where we land. And one piece of this is that you have, you have a limited amount of funding, which direction you go. One of the arguments I see for the Slickham M and uh, Slick'em M, um, Slick'em N, uh, and it's sort of something Curtis said. He thinks that Congress was going to uh, uh, potentially be funding this is that, um, as you look at that system, it is absolutely technologically ready to go. Like right now, everything is there. And that to me makes it sort of low hanging fruit to hang on to. That's just my first cut. So, I'm Kurt- Curtis. I was curious why you said you thought it was going to get funded.
1: Well, I'm I'm actually looking here at a press release here uh, that it looks like in the new NDAA as of today that there was 25 million uh, set aside for uh, for the Slickham End program in the NDAA compromise. Uh, So we'll see how that goes. Um, I I, I have to uh, just I, I can't agree more with with Jim on on the the. You know how important it is to have these kinds of capabilities. One of the unique things about Slickham and um, is is its ability to uh, you know, to maneuver, right? So uh, it is the one weapon system that we have that has sort of this ability. Uh, it, it can launch from various platforms, as we mentioned. Uh, other types of submarines conventional if you will fast attack submarines maybe even they could be put back on to, uh, the decks of ships if that were necessary in the manner of a, i know it's a dirty word if we had to hedge um, and um, and um, and be able to to deal with this the the, the maneuverability of a cruise missile uh, complicates the adversary's defenses their ability to plan um, and and that makes um, the the deterrent more Potent, If you will. Um, and then finally, uh, you know, these weapons of course are not, uh, covered under, um, under the new star treaty. So they're not limited in that way. And the adversary knows that. And they, that's why they have so many of them. And, uh, and because they know it's a way to threaten us, uh, in, in that sort of the, the, the Russian versions of these capabilities, um, caliber missiles and things like that, um, are, are, um, are, are are real. And you know, I would argue, um, you know, we have a the New Star Treaty uh, clearly defines, you know, what an SSBN is, how many you can, you know, in a strategic nuclear warhead can how many they can have. We the nations declare how many they're gonna have, you know, at sea at any one time in a ballistic missile. But if you take an air-launched or a sea-launched cruise missile with a nuclear warhead, and you're flying off the off the Atlantic coast or the Gulf of Mexico, and you're launching these weapons, they're not treaty compliant, but they're being fired from the same basic domain as an SSBN. Uh, and so, again, this is um, uh, more of a more of a of a problem with our with the New Star Treaty than 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 whether or not we have or don't have the capability to deal with cruise missiles, um, but let me point to this one other thing to think about before I I give the mic back to you, Adam, uh, is that right now, the United States is wrestling with how do we detect and intercept uh, Russian cruise missiles that hold um, our East Coast at risk, which I just described. Okay, why do we not want to have that give that burden and problem over to the adversary? So they have to have their lives complicated and spend money and resources to solve that problem that's what our deterrent is supposed to do create those problems the whole joint all domain um, uh, mechanism that's being designed for the Air Force is designed to present the enemy with multiple dilemmas. why do we not want to give them this dilemma too let's complicate this let's make it let's make it what the uh, put that onus on the adversary.
2: We know if we. Oh, go Curtis, ahead. Jim. I was going to say, um, I've heard you have this discussion twice, and before I couldn't remember what I was thinking when you said this. I refer to it recently when I was talking to someone as Curtis's whack-a-mole theory of deterrence, and uh, but it works. <laughs> um, and so you give them as many things you can throw at them, but the other piece is I just want to let the audience know that Curtis earlier said he had he was apocryphal and thinking that Congress was going to do something, but he actually read a paper ahead of time and pretended that it was that way. Just thought I'd pass that on. <laughs>
0: well, you know, Congress does put, you know, the, the the discussion has been will Congress include 25 million that you mentioned? And that's a R and D budget just to keep it alive. And that's what that money is for. It's not, you know, to field it or anything like that. It's, it's just R and D money to keep, to keep the program alive, which is obviously a useful, useful program to have. But I had a question, you know, Curtis, your point reminds me of very much the approach we took in the INF debates and discussion where we built systems knowing that we were going to then go try to negotiate them away. And and so it's in eerily similar to what Reagan did in the mid 80s to ultimately force the Russians to the table on INF. But I wonder, Jim, this goes to something you said where I don't worry about money. I was just looking at the GAO's website and our national debt is at $28 trillion right now. And the, you know, it's grown $7 trillion in the less than two years. Well, it's about two years. That's just the debt. And our federal budget is about six and a half, seven trillion a half, $7 trillion a year. So whatever amount of money we would spend on uh, slick them in is almost irrelevant. It's not even fairy dust. So I don't worry about funding but what I worry about and this goes back to you being the engineer of the group I wonder if you add additional programs can the can the engineering complex you know can the Kansas City plant and can can all of that engineering component can Sandia can all of these who have a role to play in ultimately putting these weapons in the field, can they handle any additional programs? Because they're, they're pretty maxed out now. I talk to these guys and,
2: and they're struggling to keep up with the production they have. Well, thank you, Adam. And you're right about this. First, I have an incredible respect for the technical personnel and management of the national labs. Um, You may recall that when I'm not staring at my shoes Uh, I've been working in close contact with the labs for about 20 plus years. And aside from the mission of surety and for the audience, that's uh, making sure the weapons perform as they're intended, but also that they are safe and secure and that they are not used or do not detonate when they're not supposed to. And so that surety mission is really important. And they additionally have to provide all the criteria to the DOD to qualify the weapons. And so that's on their plate. And they're tasked with inventing new or better systems to respond to the ever-evolving adversary. So it's right to consider the broader nuclear complex when we look at adding anything to the table in the mission.
0: Yeah, and it's it's interesting because on LinkedIn, I see almost every day, you see NNSA, you see, you know, Nevada Test Site, you see uh, Kansas City Plant, you see all of these production and testing facilities, Sandia, they're always having job fairs because they're really struggling to find the engineering talent that it takes to continue the manufacturing and modernization programs that that they have it seems to be a significant challenge and in particular when you have to have a clearance and you have to have a clearance that, you know, a top secret clearance or a Q clearance and DOE, it can be challenging to be able to meet all those requirements with a shrinking base uh, of talent that we have in, in the United States. So I think that's probably a bigger issue than can, can Congress, afford to fund it because Congress seems to have no limits on what it chooses to fund. As you think about scenarios, Curtis, what do you see as a likely scenario in which we might find ourselves needing slick Do you Do you see a, a specific instance in which you think We would, this is, this is the time we would want to have slick them in, you know, in our hip pockets so that we can deter the Russians, the Chinese, the North Koreans, the Iranians. Who do you see it being useful against? Uh,
1: Adam, as usual, a great question. But first, I just need to correct you for the record on this, just because uh, I want to make sure that our, our listeners know that we're in 2022 and not in 2018 our U.S. national debt is actually 31 and a half billion dollars. Uh, trillion, trillion, trillion dollars, trillion dollars. Sorry. Yeah. Trillion dollars with a T yeah. with a T. And uh, it is uh, and, and, and it's just fascinating. Uh, if, if you're if our, listeners, it's huge. if our listeners aren't aren't familiar with the U.S. debt clock org, I highly recommend it. Uh, and then and then uh, uh, and then go off and watch a cartoon and feel better. Um, okay. So when would we actually want to have a Lamb? When would we, and, and I would conversely take your question and say, when would we regret not having it? Okay. And so yeah. uh, the way I see this is, is that, you know, it's a tool in the toolbox and we should afford the president every possible response option um, that the president would need for a, a scenario that is uh, we may think we've planned and strategized and war-gamed against, but inevitably won't be the one that actually happens. Uh, and the one, you know, so anyway, so I think that uh, the, the real benefit to this thing is it keeps um, a regional uh, conflict more regional. Uh, if your nuclear deterrent and your nuclear assurance to the, to the ally is only based off your strategic weapon systems, and uh, and so then and you're you, you've got to make a decision, right? So uh, I've said this before. When a nuclear weapon uh, goes off in or around the Ukraine, if it happens, but you know, if 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 the Russians decide to do that, um, I would argue that the biggest worry for the United States government and maybe even the NATO allies is not the actual explosion. And it is not the, the, uh, the effects and the results of that nuclear explosion. What they worry most is the decision they have to make after it, right? Because you're in the situation where you have, you know, three choices maybe, which is, do I do nothing? Do I respond with a conventional weapon? Or do I respond with a nuclear weapon? In other words, do I do nothing and risk the risk that they will uh, do it again, thinking, well, I got away with it once, I'll do it again. Do you would respond with a, with a conventional weapon to where the adversary may well say, well, that wasn't, uh, uh, they don't have the resolve. They don't have the resolve to take me on. I own, I'm escalation dominant. And that would be the Russians' thought to that. Or do you retaliate with a nuclear weapon? And if you retaliate with a nuclear weapon, the only one you have in your arsenal, which is a 150 kiloton or better weapon, is that retaliation or is that escalation? The answer is it's escalation. And so you have to think about, if I want to retaliate and try to tamp this down, I need a weapon of equal yield, of equal delivery Something that is very clear that it is not a ballistic response, that it is a low yield option, it doesn't put pilots in danger, which could, if you shoot them down, you could create more war, um, and and these sorts of things. This is what Slickham N brings you, the decision maker, Mr. President, and so uh, that that is where I think the most value is. Even if you have a few, it still affords the president the decision. That if he's got to match, he can do so without escalating or forcing the adversary to question his resolve or her resolve uh, if they res- if they re- uh, respond with something less than nuclear. Uh, so that is my uh, that is my best guess as to why we should have these at least initially. Um, you know, you can get into nuclear war fighting and whether or not you would need them then, that's a different question. But the adversary sees these yeah, low see, yield weapons differently than we do. They do see them as just bigger bombs. They don't see them as a strategic effect like uh, Secretary Mattis once referred to them as.
0: Yeah, I mean, this to me, the the argument that every nuclear weapon is a strategic weapon is akin to the, if you go back in early in the Iraq war, and they talked about strategic corporals mm, yeah. where, you know, a corporal that does some discreet thing because of sort of a ripple effect, everything can be a, you know, strategic. And so I, I agree with you that the Russians and the Chinese in particular don't see uh, low yield theater weapons necessarily as strategic weapons, but I, I see specific discrete scenarios in which they're particularly useful. And so when whenever we deployed the 76 Mod 2 submarine launch ballistic missile with the you know the public yield on that, the unclassified yield is about 10 kilotons. And this was done during the Trump administration and it was done ostensibly as a way to let the Russians know that we were going to build a capability that was non-strategic that we could employ in Europe at any time if the Russians used, you know, used a nuclear a low-yield nuclear weapon. I think that the 76 Mod 2, this submarine-launched ballistic missile, it's a terrible weapon, to, in my mind, for use in, in a European theater. I don't think it fits well there. I think it fits much, much better in Asia uh, in regards to a conflict with either Russia or North Korea, um, that's that's when you you have a much better ability to determine that it's a single launch. You have a much better ability to determine, you know, to to know exactly for the adversary to to know and understand right. what's coming at right. them and to know it's not a salvo of of you know. 400 plus kiloton strategic SLBMs, but you also, you know, the other point there is that in Asia as well, but even in Europe, I think an SLBM or a slick them in as a cruise missile is really useful one against the North Koreans because the North Koreans, if you look at the way they've designed their facilities, and and you can get at a lot of this, the you know Maxar and and some of these private you know intelligence firms that you can buy imagery and stuff like that, you can see North Korean facilities, and they're putting they're putting their their nuclear facilities on ballistically such that ICBMs and SLBMs can't hit them. So they're putting them in really deep valleys in, you know, buried in mountains and they're putting them to where they they can't be hit. And the only way we'll be able to get at them is with, you know, a B2 or LRSO the the new cruise nuclear cruise missile or potentially slick them in. So I think they're really, really slick them in is really useful in North Korea. And the North Koreans are becoming increasingly assertive. And then even with China, when China's becoming aggressive, particularly towards Taiwan, if you had slick them in with low yield nuclear weapons and you could potentially have the Chinese threatening the use of, you know, tactical or theater nuclear weapons against US a carrier strike group, for example, that they would claim is in Chinese territorial waters, if you had the ability to respond with a slickle min with a lower yield warhead, that might give them a kind of pause that they would not otherwise have. And so I think there's really specific use cases where there is a very important deterrent effect that we cannot generate any other way. I, what, you know.
1: Yeah, couldn't disagree with you. I couldn't agree with you more, I should say. I agree with you <laughs> what more.
0: about I mean. you, Jim? What, what was your, what's your take on, you know, some of this discussion of use yeah. cases?
2: Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I like the use case. And again, uh, you know, trying to make this argument, you know, for and against various systems and where the, you know, where, where we go. Obviously, you want to have as many options on the board I just, uh, I'll go back, uh, you know, lean back on my haunches a little bit in the thought process. I agree that we need to have those additional capabilities. But remember, Slickaman does take some of the conventional capability off the table, um, at least in terms of numbers. And when you talk about escalation, we have to weigh those two out. And so that's the argument, you know, some of the argument can be made. I do like the idea of looking at you know, understanding this from a standpoint that we have something we could take off the table. Although I tend to like the slicker men, to be honest. Um, but just looking, you know, trying to make the counter argument to myself to, to see what happens. And that's the argument that I see is it c- could be problematic and putting another weapon system there, but we don't have, you know, the, the counter I have again, <laughs> countering myself to my counter myself is that, we don't really have a low yield nuclear capability, especially in the in, in the manner that SLICOMEND provides us, and on a submarine is great because it really gives you that added protection of having something that's sort of unknown. Low. Yeah, yield I think you're.
0: You know, it's. Uh, you know, if we think about all of the 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 arguments, we just don't need it. We already have the. 76 Mod 2 SLBM low yield warhead. I I just don't find sort of the counters particularly uh, meaningful in terms of negating the the relevance and need for slickaman Whereas I, I see the threats and the the perception of both China and North Korea and, and how they are evaluating american will and commitment in asia and then you know we haven't even discussed yeah the south Koreans and the japanese and what they think we we've totally skipped that and their views on american credibility but i don't know i'm going to be hard pressed to you know as i've read everything out there to concede that slickaman well, is and needed. i
2: think adam again that's that's why i very publicly <laughs> here argued myself against myself deliberately because i tried to provide my <laughs> own counter argument to what i my t- intuition was and it led me back to where i started and so that tends to give me you know pause to say there's a strong logic for slickaman um because you can't make a good counter argument as to why it, should, you know, barring many of the other political issues, et cetera, why it should go away from just a standpoint of providing a deterrent that, and a capability that's not really there anywhere else.
0: Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately we are about out of time. So why don't, why don't Curtis, you, you had something to say. So why don't you offer us your Closing thoughts, and then Jim, why don't you close us out of the show?
1: All right, thanks. Yeah, I you know I just want to remind the audience here um, that the first uh, nuclear posture review came out in 1994 under President Clinton, and it was that nuclear posture review, okay, that laid out uh, basically the force structure that we that we still see today. But in fact, even in 1994, fall of the Soviet Union. Peace breaking out all over the world, um, all of these sorts of things. The decision was, quote, to retain the option to deploy TLAM-N on attack submarines. Although none currently are deployed, they could be deployed if needed. It was written in the NPR that TLAM-N, which is Slickem n it's the old term, um, would um, would still be retained and, would use, and, in, and of course, was available um, all the way up until 2009. And so what we have to remember is, is that back in the day, in the 1990s, when peace was breaking out all over the world, leadership, Democrat leadership, still believed that this capability was needed and necessary for an uncertain world with an uncertain future. I would argue that 28 years later, the world is maybe a little bit more uncertain. Um, But one thing that is certain is that the risk of strategic conflict uh, or where theater nuclear conflict is bigger today than ever before since 1994, yet we continue to believe that we can do, that we can continue to hold the peace and avert war without the necessary tools. That to me is hard to, uh, hard to, uh, to understand uh, in that regard. Just something for, th- for thought.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Curtis. Jim. Yeah, Adam. Yeah. And giving me last word. Thank you. There's not much you can follow up with Curtis on. I think he wrapped that up, tied it with a bow. Let's just send it off to Congress and get this over with. And so <laughs> I, jokingly, of course. But um, yeah, th- these uh, these uh, you know nuclear view uh, moments while we're together are great times for t- to sit back and think about these things. But it is good that we, you know, we share a slightly different view, and yet we we seem to come to similar conclusions for possibly different reasons, different uh, outlooks, mm-hmm. et cetera. And I, I find that quite refreshing for me. And uh, sort of what we thought about when we built this uh, when we built this podcast and this idea. And I hope our audience is taking that away with them. So I have nothing I could add to what Curtis had said, and so I'll turn it to you to do the the final uh, outlay here, Adam. And uh, we'll be saying goodbye to our audience.
0: Hey, you know, America's favorite Secretary of Defense, one Donald Rumsfeld, <laughs> once said that uh, weakness is provocative. Mm-hmm. And, and it's sort of a point that I, I come back to over and over and over again. And as we, you know, the National Institute for Deterrent Studies is all about deterrence, you know, thus our tagline thing, deterrence, and the prevention of war. And I think that's particularly relevant. What, what Rumsfeld said is particularly relevant when you're trying to prevent war. And so as we wrap up a discussion of slick them in, my argument would be that for what is a relatively low cost, because you've already got the capability, you had to field it. You can do, you can go quite a long ways in, Doing exactly what one Rumsfeld said, and and that is, you know, preventing the perception of of weakness. So I, I just I offer that for thought. As as you offer a great example, Curtis, of even the Clinton administration thought that uh, maintaining TLAM in the Tomahawk land attack missile um, was a good idea back in 1994. All right. Well, we've had another interesting discussion today. Of course, we covered uh, Slick'em in and we sort of ended up on a roundabout way in the same spot. <laughs> and Of course, on behalf of Jim Petrosky, Curtis McGiffin, and myself, we want to thank you for joining us on another Nuclear View, and we hope that you will be back with us next week as we talk... Potentially, our, our plan is to talk the Missile Defense Review, but we may have another topic. Uh, you never know what uh, the news cycle may Correct. bring as we as we really are going to start moving towards talking about uh, our current topics. So uh, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.
2: Okay, this is fun.